You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Charles Davidson, a staff writer for the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. Today we're talking about the rapidly changing payments landscape with Cheryl Venable, who is a senior vice president and head of the Fed's retail payments office, and Mary Kepler, also a senior vice president and the Atlanta Fed's chief risk and compliance officer. Mary's duties also include overseeing the Atlanta Fed's retail payments risk forum. So Cheryl, Mary, thanks a lot for taking time to talk with us today. Thanks for having us. Well, first off, the Fed has the Retail Payments Office. Can you explain for listeners, Cheryl, what exactly is the Retail Payments Office, or as we call it, the RPO? Yeah, so the Retail Payments Office is housed here out of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, and we have responsibility for the Federal Reserve's check and automated clearinghouse businesses, which include clearing and settling ACH and check types of payments. Um, We do this on behalf of the entire Federal Reserve System. So this is a consolidated responsibility that we provide on behalf of the Federal Reserve. Now, payments, it sounds pretty obvious what we're talking about, but uh, could you just quickly explain when we do say payments broadly, what, what exactly do we mean? Many times when we talk about payments, we categorize them maybe into four major buckets. We talk about check, or maybe five, check, ACH, wires, cards, which would include things like debit cards, credit cards, prepay cards, and cash. Those are the primary areas of payments. But, you know, there's been a lot of innovation around payments over the years. But many times what we're seeing is that innovation is occurring around how users interface with these sorts of um, back-end clearing and settlement systems. And a lot of the cards and ACH still support these innovations for the actual clearing and settlement of the payment themselves. Right. So so the sort of deep plumbing is still kind of the same? Is that, is that the point? That's there? what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Interesting. So what does the Fed have to do with all this? I know that we do process some payments. A lot are handled by private sector entities. So what's what's sort of our general role in the in the payment system? We talk about ourselves having um, a couple of hats when we um, are working in payments. As you just described, we are a provider and an operator of some of the payment systems. So we process check, ACH, and wire payments, and we also handle cash, obviously. Um, But we also play a leader catalyst role in the payment system where we are working with the industry to drive change, really improvements in the efficiency, the effectiveness, accessibility of the payment system. So we really do provide um, and, and play in, in two really distinct different roles in the payment system today. Right, right. Well, I know one of the things we do is conduct a, a broad study of the payments landscape every three years to keep track of the trends. Uh, still, can you guys talk a little bit about a time when maybe a new trend surprised you or surprised the Fed? Well, the payment study began in the early 2000s, and the goal at that time was to understand the volume of checks. And I can say that what they learned at that first payment study was a surprise. The volume of checks was much less than originally thought. But since that time, the payment studies that have occurred every three years have indicated 
really a, an expected trend. So uh, all electronic payments continue to grow, checks continue to decline, and probably not surprising to anyone listening is that debit cards are now the most commonly used payment form. 80% of us consumers use them at the point of sale. Right. What about cash? We sometimes hear an expression that cash is king. Has cash been demoted to some level below king by now? Well, cash is still used, and it's used in a lot of transactions, most commonly in small dollar transactions. Every time a natural disaster occurs, I think we're reminded of how important cash can be because there's no electricity, so you can't use cards, you can't visit the ATM machine. But the San Francisco Fed has a great interest in the volume of cash because they're the cash product office and they conduct surveys occasionally. And I saw a recent survey that indicated for the first time that people would admit that cash is now uh, lower in volume than cards. Oh, that's interesting. I'm a big contributor to the rise of cards, I have to say. Well, speaking of methods of payments, uh, we hear a lot these days about mobile payments, paying by phone, by smartphones. Chip, You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the number economy. number of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Economy Matters podcast. I'm Tom Heinches, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters magazine. And today we're speaking with Pat Higgins, an economist at the Atlanta Fed. Today we're going to discuss gross domestic product, one of the most widely used barometers of economic performance. And specifically, we're going to discuss GDP Now, which is a tool that Pat developed while here at the Atlanta Fed. Since its introduction in July 2014, GDP Now has proved to take a very accurate snapshot of GDP. Pat, GDP Now uses a nowcasting model to forecast GDP growth, and our listeners can't see me using air quotes around nowcasting. Uh, what's the distinction between nowcasting and forecasting, and uh, how did nowcasting gain such a foothold in the discussion of GDP? Is it because in our digital age we expect to know everything immediately? Yeah, now casting is actually a type of forecasting. It originally comes from weather forecasting, and weather forecasting and now cast is a forecast of the weather that's between three and six hours or less. And the analog for economic forecasting is forecasting the next data point. So, for example, the next GDP release will be the fourth quarter GDP that will be released at the end of January. So, the now cast for GDP now that's being made is for fourth quarter growth. I would say now casting for GDP has been going on for a while. Uh, there are just more now casting models like GDP now out there because of improvements in technology that lots of people can do it now. What led you to develop GDP now, Pat? Uh, did you see an approach to measuring GDP that no one else was using or was there uh, information you wanted to get that you weren't able to obtain from existing measures? Yeah, the glib answer is my boss asked me to, the director of research. That's a Dave, good reason. Dave Altig. Uh, his original idea was to use an existing model, take that off the shelf. And I tried that approach, and the forecast from that didn't really work that well. So I sort of went back to the drawing board and used sort of some more old-fashioned models, which forecasted the components of GDP, like consumption, investment, government spending, et cetera, directly 
and combine that old-fashioned approach with the newer, uh, more sophisticated econometric approach, and that seemed to do the trick. Pat, I wanted to talk a bit about the nature of GDP as an economic yardstick. We all know that GDP measures the size of an economy, tallying the value of all goods and services. It sounds like a simple definition, but in practice, measuring changes in a $17 trillion economy, and down to a tenth of a percent at that, is anything but simple, isn't it? Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment, Tom. I guess the first issue is the data collected. The beginning is not as comprehensive as what we get uh, several months later, so estimates are often revised. So, for example, this morning, November 24th, the first estimate of GDP growth for the third quarter was revised from 1.5% to 2.1%. And that number is going to be revised uh, several more times. So at any point in time, getting to one-tenth of a percentage point, like you mentioned, is an impossibility. There's other issues, like even though GDP is nominal, what we're really interested in is a real GDP and adjusting for price price changes like adjusting for quality improvements in computers and healthcare and things like that is uh, really where I think the, the most difficult issues are. GDP has been a fixture in the national economic discussion for years, but the widespread use of GDP as a barometer of economic performance is actually a fairly recent development, isn't it? Yeah, the, I would say the first uh, cousin to GDP was introduced in the 1930s, measurement of national income as a response to the, the Great Depression. It was introduced, I think, in 1934. And then uh, even closer cousin, uh, gross national product, was introduced in 1942, I believe, to sort of balance the needs of the war economy and the civilian economy. And then there were more improvements made in the 1950s, like getting quarterly measures of GDP, real GDP, gross national product, which is fairly closely related to GDP was actually the standard yardstick until about 1991 when the Bureau of Economic Analysis, who measures GDP or estimates GDP, switched to gross domestic product. And since then, that's been the standard measure. Pat, as a measure of the overall economy, GDP receives a great deal of attention, grabbing headlines and often leading off news reports. Do you think the way GDP is reported contributes much to people's understanding of economic growth? Do the quarterly fluctuations require more nuance and context to really interpret them in a meaningful way? Yes, Tom, I definitely agree with that. GDP growth, uh, especially at the quarterly frequency, is fairly volatile. So, for example, in the third, second quarter, real GDP growth was 3.9%. Uh, in the third quarter, that stepped down to 2.1%. One might think that that's a big step down, but within sort of the t- fairly typical range of fluctuations of the data, just fluctuations of that magnitude are, are pretty typical. So it's, it's pretty pretty common to smooth through some of that noise by looking at four-quarter percent changes or even longer-term growth rates. I think news reports tend to just look at the The headline number, which is just the one quarter growth rate for the most recent quarter, and just looking at that number doesn't always give you a good sense of sort of the momentum in the macro economy. When it comes to measuring the economy, are there aspects that prove especially challenging even for tools like GDP now? For example, when innovations like, say, the sharing economy come onto the scene, 
How do the data collection and calculation processes change? The first part of your question, the most challenging part of forecasting GDP uh, for GDP now and for other forecasters is probably inventory investment. Two reasons for that is because the data release is, is released with a fairly long lag. And also there's two parts of that data and the book value of inventories. And we only get that part. And there's another important part we don't get until the official report that forecasters have to forecast and we don't necessarily do a great job of forecasting that. That's called the inventory valuation adjustment. The second part of your question about the sharing economy, that's still a pretty small part of the economy, I think maybe in the tens of billions of dollars. That data would be captured in a survey called the Quarterly Services Survey, I believe. That survey is actually compiled fairly late, so we haven't actually gotten that data for the third quarter. won't get that until mid-December. So things like that makes those things don't get captured until kind of later in the game. So it does, it does mean that uh, GDP can get, the revisions can get bigger. So we've seen a phenomenon in more recent years where revisions from the second release to the third release have gotten bigger. And that, that is probably due to things like the sharing economy and other things like research and development and things like that getting folded in, in, into GDP. Let's briefly pop the hood on GDP now. It aggregates a number of components that the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis uses to calculate GDP. What goes into the model to allow it to work as it does with uh, such a level of accuracy? Yeah, the, the model uses data from the major statistical releases from the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and some other government agencies. There's about 15 of those. Uh, the biggest ones are the International Trade Report, Construction Spending, Manufacturing Shipments, Various Inventory Reports and on and on. And there's also price information that you need to deflate. The data from those reports are generally nominal expenditures. The price data come from reports like the consumer price index, the producer price index, et cetera. Those are used to deflate the nominal measures. So all of those get combined in a way to sort of mimic what the BEA does in, in actually making their estimate of GDP in a very coarse way. So not all of the nuts and bolts that the BEA does is done by GDP now, but the essentials are done by GDP now in some sense. The model forecasts 13 components of GDP, and those are built up into what uh, is the aggregate GDP forecast. Pat, I, I know the Atlanta Fed gets approached from time to time for the code that makes GDP now work, and we don't make it available. Uh, why is that? Does it fall into a trade secret category like a, like Coke's formula? No, I, w I would say it doesn't fall into that. We have a spreadsheet that we post online with all of the uh, calculations of the model. So if, if a user has any questions about why the model is forecasting a subcomponent of, of GDP in a, in, in a certain way, how the monthly data links into that forecast, if they're willing to spend some time to figure it out, they can go into the, the spreadsheet and it'll exactly uh, trace out how that is being done. I would say the biggest reason why we don't provide the code is we don't want others to sort of provide like an early release of GDP now. So we, we tend to post about two or three hours after the data releases. So one can imagine someone posting something you know, quicker than that. And another reason is some of the, the, the data itself comes from a proprietary 
provider that not all users would have right. access to. Pat, the, the now part of a nowcast must require frequent updating. How much care and feeding go into uh, maintaining GDP now? I would say not a whole lot of care and feeding. There is some changes that need to be made when you transition from uh, quarters. So when we went from forecasting third quarter growth to fourth quarter growth, that took maybe 30, 30 minutes to an hour to make some small changes to the code. But very few changes will need to be made until about another two months later when we go from forecasting the fourth quarter to the first quarter. Most of, I'd say, the, the work is making the charts and writing sort of the summary of what happened and posting that on the web. Since the Atlanta Fed unveiled GDP Now in July 2014, have you tweaked its architecture? How would you rate its performance and accuracy now versus when it debuted? I'd say there have been very few tweaks. The one major tweak was actually incorporated a new data release that wasn't available until July of 2015, I believe, and that's called the Advanced Report on International Trade and Goods. Prior to second quarter of 2015, the third month of uh, international trade and goods wasn't available for the advanced estimate of GDP, and the BEA essentially had to make a guess of that, what goods trade, international trade and goods was. But now that, with the introduction of that report, those numbers are available. So the model has been tweaked to incorporate those numbers, and the incorporation of those numbers actually improved the forecast for third quarter growth by almost 50%. So the miss in the forecast was cut almost in half. Pat, GDP now has garnered some nice press because of its accuracy. I recall last year when the GDP now estimate outperformed those of some Wall Street economists. Market Watch writer said, quote, it's never fun to be beaten by a machine. And not to put too fine a point on it, but I can vouch for the fact that you are in fact a human. But I imagine that you don't really see yourself in competition with other nowcasters, do you? No, although... I hope, I, you know, I'm always happy when I do well. My hope is that GDP now doesn't lag too far behind other forecasters. If it, if it performs considerably worse than others, then it's, it's hard to take too seriously as a model. But once you keep in mind that others are probably using a fair degree of judgment, there was a for, forecast survey by the European Central Bank in 2008 that asked forecasters, how much judgment they use for their short-term GDP forecasts. And they answered about 40% of their forecast is judgment and 60% comes from models. And obviously GDP now is 100% a model forecast. So one should expect some difference in both the performance and sort of the properties of the forecast. Uh, so no, I, I don't expect they should be directly comparable in some sense. Well, we're just entering a new year. I wonder if you have any insights on where GDP will go in the near term. Yeah, as of now, both GDP now and professional forecasters, I'll use an example, the C, the panelists from the CNBC rapid update survey are forecasting 2.3% growth for the fourth quarter. So that, that means I don't have to pick between those two. I can say, uh, you know, I, I'd have a hard time beating those either of those two. So that's probably a pretty good guess. But the numbers can obviously change, you know, from now until the release, then the first estimate of fourth quarter growth is released uh, in late January. So 
probably a good idea to check you know, early next year to see what the numbers are tracking then. Keeping an eye on GDP is, in fact, one of my New Year's resolutions. Pat, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Again, I'm Tom Hyges, Managing Editor of the Atlanta Fed's Economy Matters Magazine, and thanks for spending some time with us today. I encourage you to visit Economy Matters at frbatlanta.org slash economymatters and read the many interesting features we have for you there, including the GDP Now tool. And when we get together for another Economy Matters podcast next month, we'll talk about trends in Southeast housing and how the housing market has been performing regionally. Thanks again for listening, and let's meet again next month. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank.